Hi, this is Karen Kelly, and you're listening to An Appetite for Life. There's a great mix on this show with various topics, amazing guests, and the occasional celebrity guest. So today we're joined by Sarah Stevens, and there are many strings to Sarah's bow, and they're all very, very different. She's an independent travel agent, a PR and marketing agent, and also a child loss advocate. So today we're going to concentrate on child loss. So I'd like to introduce Sarah Stevens. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's lovely to have you on the show today. So there are there are a few strings to your bow, actually, aren't there? You do many things and they're all very different. So you're an independent travel agent um, under Sarah Stevens Escapes. You're a, you have a PR and marketing agency called Tree Communications, and you're also a child loss advocate as well. So you're a very, very busy bee. So first of all, let's talk about your advocacy. You're an advocate um, for life after child loss. So are you happy to share share your story with us? Yes, yeah, um, sure. Um, yeah, I'm a mother of three, um, but only my youngest um, is still with us, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. um, my eldest uh, daughter, Violet, she died aged 15 months in 2016. Um, suddenly, um, in Manchester Children's Hospital, um, of a suspected pneumonia. Um, terrible. I'm really and- sorry to hear that, Sarah. Thanks. And we didn't find out what, how, why or how she died um, for nearly two years after. So did she have an operation, Sarah, first? No, she, had, she, no. No, she just admitted with suspected pneumonia and died 10 days later. Um, but the, there was an, a big inquest into it because we couldn't find the exact cause of her death um, because she deteriorated so, so quickly. Um, so that was really hard for not knowing as well. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, and then, unfortunately for, for us, we um, uh, we lost um, a second child almost a year to the date that we lost Violet. That's um, devastating. Martha, devastating. Weeks of pregnancy. Um, so yes, <laughs> so that was a, a rough few years, um, and unfortunately. Um, it was after I lost Arthur that we I realised just what a taboo subject child loss was. Yeah. Because I've always been quite honest with people. So when they ask me how many children do you have, I would say three. Um, but unfortunately, one's still with us. Yeah. Um, and even back then, when I I only had um like Violet or then Arthur, and I could only say, oh, well, I've I've got two children, but unfortunately neither of them are here. Um, the different reactions that I would get from people. Um, some people would um avoid me. Some people would um ask me how much do you have children? And when I answered honestly, they just didn't know what to say, and they just stop and walk off. Yeah, they kind of avoid the subject, fear of saying maybe the wrong thing, don't yeah. they? I, I kind of get it in one way, but, you know, you're still happy to talk about it. Yeah, um, and then I've had others just burst into tears. Um, oh. And then I've had others who've then shared that their cat passed away last week. Gracious. 
Yeah. Um, so how so do you I, respond to that? How do you respond to that, Sarah, when you're telling somebody of your situation and they're trying to relate to it with their cat passing away? Well, well, I then give them some, I actually re- respond in quite a sympathetic way because I guess to, to everyone, loss is so different. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if, if the, the closest person to you to pass away is your cat, then that's then quite devastating. Going, yeah. Because I remember yeah, when my, no, dad, my um, dog died, um, I was really devastated by that. Um, but then now, if my dog died, it wouldn't hit me the same, in the same way that it did do 10 years ago, because that was like the greatest loss that I'd had at that point, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah um so everyone um has got been going through loss differently and um and when after it had the um feedback from people after losing arthur and people not knowing what to say what to do um and people say you know you don't never know who your true friends are until you have a baby well i'd say you never know who your true friends are until you lose a baby <laughs> because when you have a baby that's good news everyone wants to celebrate that um, um but then if you lose that baby no 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 one really wants to know yeah it's um, very bizarre isn't it people just yeah. don't know how to deal with it so what no. advice could you give to people then how it might be a, a sensitive question but how would you expect people to react? How would you want people to react? Well, you just need to be able to kind of listen to someone, yeah. really. Um, and, um, and, and that's the main thing, just to give some kind of, even if you've not been through it, just recognise how awful that is and yeah, how hard that is. And just listen, because quite often um, those of us who've, lost children we're not we're, we're no different than any other parents we like people to talk about our children yeah exactly um, we like to know that they're remembered um despite the fact that they're not here you know well absolutely and and with that in mind let's talk about violet skies because this charity has raised over fifty thousand pounds for the older hay hospital which is phenomenal congratulations thank you thank you yeah i've um, i have a blog called violet-skies.com if anyone wants to read a bit more about my story and, and everything else then please go there um so i set up the blog um just after losing arthur to try and help to raise awareness of um of child loss and how to deal with help people to deal with people better um and to have and give an insight um and i've had really lovely messages from people saying um i lost my child um i felt all alone i was in the darkest place ever the charity fundraising um was one way that i um tried to retain some kind of control when yeah. violet died um, because obviously when she died we didn't know why she died and they were doing an inquest and um, and you just feel out of control because everything is taken away from you, um, you and, and that adds to the loss, the loss of control over anything so that was one way that I could feel in, in control yeah. and that there was some 
focus was to create a legacy for Violet. Um, now, Violet, when she was four days old, had open heart surgery at Alderhead Children's Hospital. Wow, so she really so died then. How young and how tiny is four days old? Yeah, and she was she was um five five pounds ten at birth. Oh, so she was teeny. So she went in, when she went into surgery at Alder Hay, she'd lost weight. And so when she was probably um, about £4.12 or something. So she was teen, really teeny tiny. And yeah. that was to know whether she'd come through that operation or not. Um, and we, I remember signing the forms off to say that we were aware that the chance of her pulling through was really slim. Um, anyway, she pulled through. Um, and the, the operation, her post-mortem examination proved um, when she did die at 15 months old, that proved that that operation that she'd had at Old Day Hospital did save her life and it was yeah. 100% effective. Wow. So they completely fixed the heart and that wasn't the reason she died. Um, and because of that, I thought, you know what, um, instead of... And being upset and angry at the world because she died aged 15 months, I'm going to be grateful for the fact that we had 15 months with her because she could have died at four days old on the operating table at Older Hay, but she didn't. We had 15 months of happy happiness with her and we knew who she was. When I planned a funeral, I knew her personality and so I could design the whole thing around her and about her as a person oh, what was she like that. tell me about Violet tell me a bit more about Violet um yeah she was um very very clever weirdly enough loads of people will, des will describe her who, who have ever met her describe her as being wise yeah um, and when you think she's 15 months old yeah um and didn't really talk she'd said about what 10 words or something was a vocab um she but she had this like silent wisdom about her and this almost like peace mm. so um she, yeah she just um just was just calm like a naturally calm person yeah. um and she she went to to nursery and they they said at first they were really concerned because she was so petite um, that other children would push her around but they said that she um, had a certain aura and actually silently controlled everything in the room they just said she everything it was the world according to Violet the whole room was the rules according to Violet but she didn't really say much she was very quite quite quiet um, but just very peaceful and calm and they said that she just had this innate wisdom like she knew everything now yeah um, the children would have known to I don't know the ch children are really inquisitive at that age aren't they it's amazing what they do learn they absorb everything so they would have obviously picked up on that and realized that she was unique and she was special yeah um and they, well, they said on the one the one occasion that a child tried to come and take a toy off her <laughs> she just and bear in mind, this is a child that was always silent, quite, quite quiet. Yeah. And apparently, she just screamed really, really loudly. Wow. And this child <laughs> was just terrified. <laughs> um, and then that was it. No one ever tried to take no, anything. Off not her messing ever. with her. No, she's tiny, but she's tough. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yes, yeah, so that, and she wasn't scared of anything either. Um. We travelled around the world with her. She went to New Zealand, Bali, 
Singapore. Um, you know, she wow. Cyprus. <laughs> she went all over. Um, bless her. Um, and she's loved to travel. And um, she was very musical as well. Um, what was bizarre is that we um, accidentally discovered that she loved um, opera and Catherine Jenkins. Oh, okay. Quickly. Um, and Catherine Jenkins was the only thing that would keep her calm. So if she was up late at night teething in pain, we'd just put Catherine Jenkins on and it used to just calm her because oh, she stop crying to listen. Um, and well, that's just, lovely because no yeah. other parents might be put the hoover. I used to put the hoover on for my children or drive them round, drive them round in the car. But oh, never thought about Catherine Jenkins. Yeah, well, well, we only just discovered it because I, um, when she was really tiny, when she was about six weeks old, um, still recovering from heart surgery, um, she, um, I, I just put our wedding playlist on uh, for my wedding reception. And we had one Captain Jenkins song on there because my mother-in-law's um, a, a mezzo-soprano um, music teacher. Um, so we put that on because she loves Captain Jenkins. So um, but whenever our wedding playlist would come around to, to Captain Jenkins, um, if Aurora, um, Violet was wiggling about making noise or whatever, as soon as Captain oh. Jenkins came on, she would stop. And just listen oh, that's um, for the whole song and then we'd go back to normal again and um and so i noticed that so I slowly added more Catherine jenkins to my playlist and they had the same effect it just calmed her and so that's what we played on continuous loop when she was in hospital because she was so anxious about it that's so um, lovely sleep. so we just put Catherine jenkins on on a loop and that was the only thing that calmed her in the hospital oh. Um, really and Catherine Jenkins actually um, wrote to her when she died. Oh, um, that's incredible. did a tribute to her um, at her Manchester show um, in December 2016. Invited us along to it and came on in a violet ball gown. Oh, um, I've got all goosey. That's thing, lovely. Thing for her. Yeah, it was so, so beautiful because um, she knew that she was like her youngest fan. Because yeah. Catherine's eldest daughter is the same age as Violet so when I was having sleepless nights with Violet I'd tweet I'd, I, I, I remember tweeting saying Catherine Jenkins you're a lifesaver um, and Catherine Jenkins was actually awake with her daughter and tweeted me back so that's how that, that relationship was formed but um, yeah so she was a very unique little girl so um, I make it my mission to continue her legacy um, and we wanted to say thank you to Alder Hay Children's Hospital for having saved her when she was four days old. So we've raised over 50, near, well, it's getting near to £60,000 now for Alder Hay Children's Hospital. And Violet's name now sits proud of place um, on the sponsors board um, in the hospital. So she'll be there now for eternity on their sponsors board. That's amazing. Um, so congratulations to, to you and Violet. That's amazing. Yeah. So um, the um, so I set up a, a blog called Violet-Skies.com um, to to help raise awareness of of child loss um, and to help people understand a little bit more who haven't been through it and help them help other people. 
um, and it's it's done its job really. I've had people come message me in their dark darkest hour, um, saying, "Look, you know, I didn't know where to turn. I googled, found your blog, and actually, you gave me hope to continue, um, and that that I can make make a future for myself, even though my child isn't is no longer here." Um, and then I have I've had others who contacted me to say I've started reading your blog because a friend's been through something similar and I didn't know how to react to her or how to relate to her and thank you so much. So that's um, brilliant as well isn't it like you say helping others know what to say and know how to deal with somebody close to them if they've had a loss that's brilliant. Exactly so so that that was my my the reason I set the blog up and um, that was after um, Arthur died um, and what I want to do now is evolve that further so towards the end of the year I'm going to be launching a podcast a Violet mm -hmm. podcast where I will feature um, different people who've overcome trauma in their lives it might not necessarily be child loss it might be some other type of trauma but mm -hmm. then have gone on to do other things um, quite a lot of them have, have amazing stories. They've got gone on to do um, to create charities and things like that. But I just remember in 2016 when I was um, at my lowest ebb, that would have helped me. It would have helped me to be able to go on and find someone who's been through um, um, you know hor horrendously traumatic experience, but come out the other side yeah, and to see that do come out the other side because at the moment when you if you go on and search about you know child loss and grief and things like that you get um you come across people who are suffering at the moment you know um and it's hard when you're in that collectiveness of other people in the same grief as you to see that there's a way out of it so i think it would be would have been beneficial to me to be able to see that there is a way through it yeah. and a way to continue to live Life beyond the yes. yeah keeping that memory alive so yeah. how do you think people have coped during lockdown because obviously people have experienced loss not just through covid19 but child loss as well and that must have been devastating when they couldn't get close to their families to, yeah, to say yeah. their farewells to their child it's been a horrendous time to be honest through lockdown because um you know pe people like myself even who um have lost children years ago the fact that my first child violet that she died of a rare lung disorder and um, when the specialists have gone on and said, um, well, COVID, it's it's really rare in, in children and babies. It's like what, um, I can't remember what the figure was they quoted now, something like uh, one in one in 40,000 or something. Well, yeah. the, 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 the disease that um, Violet died from was so rare, there was only maybe one other case of it um, in the world for an, as someone under 10. So I'm like, well, when you're talking about rare, <laughs> I've already had one child die of something that's infinitely more rare than COVID in children. Yeah. So don't go, oh, it's fine. It's, it's really rare in children because <laughs> that doesn't help me. No, it doesn't. There's no comfort in those words whatsoever. No. So, um, so whilst you know, other people can take comfort in the fact that it's rare, when you've had a child die from something that's rare, 
that doesn't really comfort you anymore. No, not um, so there's been that anxiety. But then I know um, I've had friends who have lost, not necessarily children, but parents um, and things because of COVID. And, um, and the, one of the saddest things was that you can't hug them and you can't mm. go around to the house. Devastating. You know? um, and things like that. And so um, I crafted last year um, a whole um, talk about um, taking my experience of child loss and applying it and giving tips and advice for people to help other other people who are grieving and what to do if someone's grieving. How do you help that person and, and things? And quite a lot of the things you can do that would really help that person, you can't do when you're in a lockdown situation. Yeah, because of all things like going around and giving them a hug and going around and making them a brew, cooking them dinner in their own home. And those small um, touches make yeah. such a big difference, don't they? That you need yeah. that. We need that interaction. Yeah. Take some food around that you've prepared for yeah. them. Yeah. You can't do that. You and can't go do it. No. Home. It's just terrible. So, terrible. Well, let's talk about let's also talk about rainbow baby and mm. tell us about your second child that, that you unfortunately very sadly lost but let's talk yeah. about the rainbow baby yeah arthur um bless him he um um yeah unfortunately um we um, and again it's it's another um one where if you haven't been through something you have no awareness and I remember how kind of almost naive you you, you are until you yeah. go through something um and I remember before um before we had Violet even we um we'd go and we were pregnant and we'd go and have a scan and the 12 week scan they'd go oh yeah everything looks fine and you'd celebrate you'd tell everyone you're pregnant and and everything and, and that seemed quite quite normal you know yeah and um, I remember at the 20 by the 20 week scan that was when they spotted there was something wrong with our heart and we were pulled into a side room with a specialist. so that's is that about five months sorry Sarah five yeah months. 20 weeks of pregnancy yes that's the yeah. 20 week scan that's yeah most normal people just have two scans so you'd have your 12 week scan um, and then you'd have your 20 week scan so the 20 week scan with Violet showed that she had a heart problem um, so because Violet had a heart problem with when we were pregnant with Arthur, um, we had the 12 week scan um, everything looked fine. So, but we didn't tell anyone because we, we knew that there still might be a heart issue. So they said, well, we can scan you again at 16 weeks because then we can see the heart in more detail and we can tell you, we can check his heart and check that that's okay. Um, and, the, and we thought, brilliant. So we went and had the 16-week check, checked his heart, heart was fine. So we're like, yes, yes, yes. told everyone we're pregnant again. His heart's, heart's okay, blah, 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 blah. Um, went in for the 20-week scan, assuming this will just be, they'll just look at his heart in more detail and do, double-check there's anything just slightly minor with it. Went in at 20 weeks, um, there's a really serious brain problem. Oh, <laughs> um, I'm laughing. It's not funny, but because yeah, you'd have to. Well, laugh it's ironic. Sure. You probably couldn't believe this was happening again. No, um, and and you don't think when you're pregnant that actually you always think, oh, it won't happen to me. Number one, yeah. and then number two, you don't actually realise. You think you have your 12 week scan and it all looks fine, and that's fine. 
but there's more issues that come out of the 20 week scan than people actually really realize. So yeah, so we were told that his brain wasn't viable and then, um, and that if we continue with the pregnancy, he'd probably die at 30 weeks. Um, but at that point, his head would be so big because it was full of um, water, yeah. um, fluid, um, his head would be so big that it'd be impossible for me to birth. So then they'd have to give me a C-section, which would probably be hysterectomy. So um, at that stage, there was no other thing for it. We had to have um, a termination for medical reasons. And also, um, if you wanted to go on and have more children, which you, you know, I'm so glad yeah, that you did, yeah. then that wouldn't have happened, would it? Well, exactly. So we had to make that awful decision. Awful, terrible. To actually yeah. speed up yeah. the loss of another, because he, he wouldn't have made it anyway. But, um, yeah, so then we, I had to give birth a second time to um, Arthur, um, so we lost him, and then um, we, when we lost Arthur, they said it, the odds were that it was just a chromosome issue that was that was the cause. So it wasn't um, connected to anything to do with Violet then. Well, at the time they said that it was it was ninety nine point nine percent likelihood that that was the reason, but we signed off to have all the the full post mortem yeah. checks on him and everything. Um, and so then they said, but if you want another child, don't waste any time trying again, um, because you'll be super fertile now. Um, but in a week's in a month's time, we'll we'll give you the come come back in and we'll let you know what the postmortem results said. So we went back in a month later, um, and they said, Yeah, you know, said it was chromosome. Well, it's not, it's clearly a genetic thing. <laughs> they, they basically said looking at you, um, it's probably you. <laughs> so I was like, oh, right, okay. So did you have concerns then of obviously conceiving again? Well, we did. So we thought, well, we'll, we'll wait then and um, and we'll wait to see the geneticists. So we've seen them. And I'm part of um, the 100 Genome Projects, which is done by the Manchester University and the hospitals. And because they've said that I'm evidence that, that I've got a very, very rare genetic condition so um but even though we said well we'll wait until we find out what it is it's a good job we we didn't because well we we discovered that we were already pregnant um so we got oh, pregnant straight away well yeah you did say you were fertile <laughs> yes so we got pregnant straight away so it was too late for us to wait so we had no choice but to go <laughs> to go through uh, the pregnancy again um and we waited until we we gone through the 20 week scan before we told anyone um and the 20 week scan, scan was fine and they said oh yeah it's fine and it was top specialists that looked did it because of the history and they said yeah everything's fine baby's oh, fine and we're like what what do we You're do now like, the worst, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. like, what, what do you do with what do we do now do we go in another route no you just go home oh wow we didn't know what to do um and then thankfully um obviously the anxiety was <laughs> horrendous during that pregnancy um but thankfully tom that tom is the baby charity um who usually the um accept mums into their care pregnant mums into their care if they've had i think it's up to three miscarriages or 
um, I've done, had a stillbirth, but because of my unique history, they made an exception. So that meant that from 26 weeks onwards, they scanned me every two weeks oh, and did routine checks and they checked um, Aurora's blood supply, her size, that she was growing okay, her brain, her heart, that everything was still okay. So it took um, that anxiety away a little bit for you, didn't it? Yeah, because the, yeah, the other thing that I discovered when I was pregnant with Arthur is that I um, also had a heart defect that had never been diagnosed before, but I'd clearly been born with it. So I had um, a 10 centimetre in diameter hole in the middle of my heart. Wow, and you went through two pregnancies that were obviously traumatic. So did you have to have any treatment for yourself? Well, because I was obviously pregnant again with Aurora when it was properly diagnosed, all they could do was monitor it. So I had regular heart monitors to check that my heart was functioning okay with the pregnancy. Um, And then... In November 2019, luckily for me, just before COVID hit, I had heart surgery. Wow. Um, so I've now got a large titanium disc in the middle of my heart, plugging the hole. Um, You've really so. been through the mill. That's incredible. So a triple whammy, if you like, of trauma. So how are you feeling now? How is the heart doing? And how is Aurora? How's she getting on? Yeah, um, Aurora's doing really well. Thank you. Brilliant. Um, she's two and a half now. Um, and during the first lockdown last year, we kept her away from nursery because obviously we didn't want, yeah, to, didn't want to take any risks no. at all. So she was, we had her home for the whole of the summer and she only went to nursery part time again in September, um, just two days a week, more for her than anything else because she just is so sociable. And she was really missing not having that interaction with other kids. Um, Personality-wise, she's the total opposite to her sister. She's oh. very loud, noisy, <laughs> yeah. outgoing. You can hear where, where she is because she's making some sort of noise. Um, super confident, very, very sociable, lovely, happy little girl all the time, just smiling. And, um, and, and does she, she know about Violet? Well, kind of as much as you can kind of explain to a two-year-old. She she sees pictures of her. She just calls her baby. Yeah. The baby. There's the baby. But what's beautiful (laughs) is she'll grow up knowing that she had a sister. Yeah. And the impact that she's made on the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, she's um, very bubbly. A lovely little girl. She's um, partially deaf. She has hearing aids, um, which was a, a slight challenge, but not compared to anything else no 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 it's all all uh and did you find that when when aurora was getting towards the 15 months did you have more anxiety oh yeah and um and the the world decided to be the universe decided to be extra cruel of course Um, and um aurora was admitted into master children's hospital with um pneumonia at 15 oh no at 15 months old so you, yeah. you thought you were going to relive the whole thing again as you did with Violet yeah thank goodness you pulled through thank goodness yeah. for that yeah. <laughs> it was horrendous absolutely horrendous it's oh. like deja vu I bet it was um, so at that point we pulled her out of, nur- of nursery totally yeah. as well um and so she didn't go back for three or four months um 
Well, I'm really pleased to hear that Aurora is thriving now and fit and well, and she's loud and, and causing chaos for you at home, because that's what you need <laughs> from a two and a half year old. So you really have had a lovely story to tell us and uh, what a journey you've had so far. How do you kind of cope with the grief? Explain to our listeners, you know, and maybe maybe you can help other listeners how you kind of deal with things and how you cope yeah. with it. Um, yeah, in the early days, because um, we didn't have really that much support at all after we lost Violet, um, we were just kind of left to get on with it, really. Um, and so me and my husband, luckily, obviously still together, which everyone's really shocked about, um, <laughs> we helped each other get through it. Um, yeah. And basically what we did is, um, it's really important because when you're in that situation, nothing gives you pleasure. You don't experience any other emotions. You can't that, see it anywhere. No, you can't. Just in this big fog. Um, so what we found is that we um, scheduled in um, times to actually do the things that we used to enjoy, even though we no longer enjoyed them, we would make ourselves do them. So um, we used to like, we go out and have dinner and we like big foodies um, and we love travel. So one thing we did after Violet died is we made dinner, res we'd make a dinner reservation. Um, and even if one of us didn't, there was always one of us that didn't find wasn't in the mood, didn't fancy it, the other one would drag them out. Yeah. Um, I remember going to some really top restaurants with no makeup on, my hair scraped back, bloodshot eyes from crying, because no, you were going to this dinner reservation, even if you're not going to dress up or put makeup on or anything, you're going to go and you're going to sit there. And even if you don't want to eat, you're just going to sit there. <laughs> because. But did you find, looking back on that now, did you... Do you think that was a good idea? Did that help? It did. Yeah. did. Um, and travel. We booked holidays because it's booked. There's a plane wait, waiting. So you, you've got to go, haven't you? So we made ourselves go on holiday. Um, yeah. We just made ourselves do things rather than just sit and wallow. We made ourselves. And my husband bought me a camera for that, that first Christmas. He bought me a camera. He said, you've always wanted to learn photography now now you have a new hobby here's a camera here's some books on photography so I just started taking pictures and I found it really quite therapeutic yeah you could switch um, off a little bit yeah um and so I used to take pictures of landscapes and and sunsets and architecture and um things like that and it was just escapism for me Oh, well, it's been so lovely talking to you today, Sarah, about all your three children and the wonderful works you've done um, as a child loss advocate. So for our listeners, if anybody has been through a similar experience or they want to um, read your blog and get in touch with you, how can they how can they make contact? Yeah, they can contact me through my blog, uh, violet-skies.com. They can also follow me on Instagram at always violet skies which is a mixture of things that have got me through <laughs> um so travel interiors things like that um and always violet skies on facebook as well brilliant well i wish you all the best with your charities and i look forward to chatting to you again soon thank you
You've been listening to An Appetite for Life, sponsored by Daybank House Dental Practice, where happiness starts with a smile. If you are interested in any of my packages or wish to be a guest on this show, then you can contact me via my social media pages, Karen Kelly Podcasts, or send an email to Kelly at btinternet.com. <laughs>